Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Great to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Kevin, if we haven't met. And uh, you guys are here for the wrap-up, the last uh, week of our uh, 2024 launching series called On Your Mark, Get Set, Go. And I have been particularly excited about um, what I'm going to share with you today. We're going to be talking about promises. Um, and I, I want to start with a confession. And that is that I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I have, I think I'm getting cynical in my old age because whenever I hear a promise, my first instinct is that's not going to happen. Right? And the more emphatically someone promises me something, the more I am certain that whatever it is that they're promising definitely will not happen. Do you guys, do you, are you a little bit with me on this thing? You know, like, okay. Uh, and I honestly, I can't remember the last time somebody made me a promise, but it, certainly I'm, I'm getting a little bit jaded. But what, what is a promise, right? We kind of know it, but what is a promise? A promise is a declaration or an assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. And I think part of the, the reason why um, we might be a little bit cynical about promises is because we're surrounded by a cacophony of empty promises. And I, I, um, I did a little like digging around on that and it turns out um, businesses and companies in America, they're not always um, truth speakers. And occasionally they tend to exaggerate um, their product. And I don't know if you guys are aware of that. I hate to break the bad news to you. But I found out that even very beloved, trusted companies can, can um, not really deliver on their promises. The Gerber Baby Food Company, they put out a formula uh, a couple of years ago. And they said that if you take this formula, your kids won't have allergies. Well, they had to pay a lot of money for saying that. That, that is no longer something that they're advertising. And uh, Kellogg Company, who makes all the great cereals, this is my favorite one. Kellogg's said that their frosted mini-wheats improve children's attention by 20%. If you could just get your kids eating those frosted mini-wheats, they're just going to skyrocket in their uh, academics. And it's like... Nope, that wasn't true either. All it did is hop the kids up on sugar and they had to pay a bunch of money as well. So there are all kinds of empty promises out there and exaggerations. Have, has anybody made a promise to you lately? Anybody, somebody say, hey, I'm, I got a promise for you? The answer is yes. You woke up to promises this morning. Every one of you, our God, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the God of the universe, made promises specifically to you, and you woke up to those promises. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to actually do three things, just to be clear. I want to do three things today, and that is, I want to try to answer three questions. The first one is, is why are the promises of God so important to the Christian life? Why are the promises of God so important in the Christian life? Number two, how do we apprehend those? How do we appropriate the promises of God? And then thirdly, um, this is something that I've always kind of wondered about myself, is are all the promises in Scripture for all people? Like, can we just, can we take those promises wherever we get them, Old Testament, New Testament? So I want to help clear that up as well, okay? Um, and so what is the purpose of a biblical promise? Well, I would say, church, that the purpose of a biblical promise is 
mostly just to bless us. It's to give us hope. It's to give us comfort. It's to give us peace. It's to give us uh, what Molly was saying, like hope for our future, um, to comfort us when we need comfort. That's what the promises are for. And I want to give you just a little sampling uh, of some promises and how they sort of work in scripture. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is a promise that your salvation is secure. I've talked to many people who who constantly are wondering, doubting, am I saved? Is my eternal life secure in the Lord? And I'm like, yes, it's secure in the Lord. If you put your trust in Jesus, then your salvation is secure, and God wants you to know that. Here's another one, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3, uh, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. This is a promise for God's guidance in your life. And what, what uh, Solomon is saying is that if you put your trust in God, meaning if you, if you follow God's ways, if you honor him, he will direct your life. He will guide you in every area of your life. Let me give you one more. Um, I actually have two, but I'm going to let you choose. Do you want to have a promise about comfort or a promise about provision? Which one do you prefer? Provision. Okay, let's do provision then. Okay. What's that? Ah, fine. We'll do both. Okay. It's going to add a minute to the sermon. Okay, so here's one. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is, cr- is close to the brokenhearted. It seems like he's saying he's particularly close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those uh, who are crushed in spirit. It's a promise for comfort for us. And in Philippians, Paul writes this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And for any of us that, that worry or have anxiety about our future, worry that we won't be okay, worry that things will fall through, there's a promise of God that he will meet all of your needs. And so, so the scriptures are there to bring us hope, to bring us peace, to bring us strength. Um, but they're also there to tell us what we can expect. They're there to sort of put us on a right course. They're like road signs letting us know what's ahead because God cares about us. And one of the, the uh, really powerful things about scripture, you guys, is, is this. And this is, this is sort of one of my favorite things. Have you guys heard of this meme, tell me without telling? me? Have you, do you guys know about tell me without telling me? So tell me without telling me is like, basically it's this thing where, and I've, I think I've got a picture, it's where you, it's telling you that you're in a group of people without actually saying that you're in that group of people, if that makes sense, right? So here we've got a couple of weird ones that I pulled off of the, off of the uh, internet, right? And so it's basically like, um, tell me without telling me that it's Monday morning and it's got this person who spilled coffee and their hair is all frazzled and you know, that type of thing, right? So it's just sort of a a funny, dumb thing. But here's the thing, you guys, is that the promises are a tell me without telling me about the character of God. It's like reverse engineering. If you want to know God, and if you want to know what God is like, if you want to know his heart, his character, his love for you, there is no better place to to explore and to look than at the promises of God. Because when we look at the promises of God, we can discover what God is like. So, for example, God promises to meet all of our needs. And if he promises to meet all of our needs, 
then God must have everything that we need. Does that make sense? If God promises to give us strength, then God must have incredible power. Uh, If God promised to send his son to die for us on our behalf, that we could have newness of life for all of eternity, then he must love us very, very deeply. He must be faithful to us. And so you see, the promises of God show the true heart of God. And so it's a joyful thing to look through the scripture to look for those promises. And so um, if you're newer here, you may not have heard uh, as much of of, uh, this talk about our Thrive Flames. Everybody that's been here for the the longer than a year is completely sick of the flames, but we're just going to keep talking about them because we love them, because this is what we're up to, right? So our flames, the Thrive Flames are uh, Ignite, Activate, Grow, Engage, and Gather. And this Ignite Flame, the first flame is about igniting a vibrant relationship with God. It's like if I were to say, how's your connection with the Lord? How are you doing with Jesus? That's the ignite flame. And if you want to be ignited in your love of God, your connection with God, your joy in God, I would encourage you to look no further than the promises of God. Does that make sense? So I want to I um, do a couple of things, but the first thing we're going to do is I want to dig into one really powerful promise uh, of God that I want, I'm just praying that this will saturate your hearts, that this will just touch you and bless you and strengthen you um, as we share this promise today. And so this promise is found in Isaiah chapter 41, uh, and it says this, and, and here's what I would ask you to do. If you're comfortable, I would almost just invite you to close your eyes and just, uh, just allow the Lord to speak this over you. And it says this, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I'm going to say that one more time. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And this, this promise, church, is such a powerful, amazing promise for a whole bunch of, of reasons. But one thing that's amazing about it is that it's so personal. It's God speaking to us. It would be amazing if Isaiah had, had said, God will strengthen you. God will lift you up. God will be your God, as if he was talking about God in the third person. That would be amazing. But instead, it's God speaking right to us, speaking directly to us. And what is he speaking to? He's speaking to our fear. Does anybody have fear in the room? You may not identify with fear, but there's gradations. You might have anxiety. You might have worry. And God is speaking to you in that place of worry. And he's saying, I'm with you. I'll take care of you. I'll deliver, right? He's speaking to those places in our lives where we feel overwhelmed, where we feel lost, where we're confused. And he's saying, I will be your God. I will give you the strength that you need. He will do it. I, um, I uh, try as best as I can to be a really good dad. As a matter of fact, one of the most important things about me is m- my dadness. I, it's, it's like a, it's important, it's a calling for me. It's, it's a huge thing for me. And I have always strived to be an amazing dad to my kids. And I have had a million victories. I've had a, a ton of great moments where I delivered on being a really, really great dad. Um, but I've also had some total 
whiffs. I've had some complete misses with my kids over the years, and um, one that is still burned into my brain and my heart that I still need healing for is uh, a moment with my, uh, my youngest, who's my daughter, Anna. Uh, Anna's 20 now, but when, back when she was around three or four years old, we were on vacation, and we were at this water park, and um, Anna was kind of an adventurous kid, much more adventurous than my boys. Hopefully, they don't hear that. But anyway, um, Anna wanted to do this ginormous water slide, and Molly was off laying in a deck chair somewhere, and I said, okay, I'll take you to the water slide, but we couldn't go on together, and she was too short for when she landed, so I said, I'm going to wait down here at the bottom to catch you, and you go up around the back and do this water slide thing, and so she was like, yes, let's do this, and so she, you know, trotted off, and I kind of calculated in my mind how long it would take for her to get all the way up the stairs. And then I figured there's a handful of people that are, you know, waiting to get on the thing. And so I'm waiting and I'm waiting and it's like fine. And then a few minutes more go by and I'm waiting and a few more minutes go by. And pretty soon I'm like, what is going on? Like, where is she? She couldn't have gotten lost. It's just this one path. But I I didn't know where she was and she just was not coming down. And I started to kind of like get get really, really nervous. Like, what am I supposed to do? Because she could be up there and she could be stuck. She could have freaked out and said, I'm not going on. I, I don't know what to do. And so I'm like waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally I was like, all right, I just have to race up there to to get, you know, like I got to get up there fast. And so I jump out of the pool, I start running up and you know what happened, (laughs) right? The moment I disappeared, she comes shooting out of the chute and no one is there to catch her. So Molly's spider senses, her mom's senses, must have started tingling because she had left her deck chair and gotten to the edge of the pool. And so she starts yelling at all the dads, going, get my daughter, get my daughter. And so a dad grabbed Anna and brought her to the edge. And um, and I came, I came down. She wasn't there. And I had three very unhappy people on my hands. <laughs> my daughter was freaked out, scared, because she went right under uh, and upset that I wasn't there. Molly was upset that I pulled this stunt, and I was really, really upset with myself. And the reason I say that, you guys, is because no matter how good of a dad I might try to be, no matter how good of a mom you might try to be a a good brother, a good sister, your best friend, whoever it is, inevitably they will let you down no matter how hard they try. But it's different with God. When God makes a promise to us, he keeps his promise. He says that when you are weak, I will be there. He says when you need me, I will show up no matter what the situation is. And so should you think that you're at the end of your rope and you have no more strength, God said, I will be your strength and I will deliver for you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And I want to just challenge some of your cruddy assumptions about God for a moment. We sort of live in this, we swim in these waters of sort of like cultural relativism and doubt. It's kind of like those things are championed and and in our culture, strength and power is really held in suspicion unless it's kind of power or strength coming from someone who's been disenfranchised. But I want you guys to remember our great God, that we serve a God who is not weak. He has unending power. 
He has unending wisdom. He has unending love. God is not just a force to be reckoned with. He is the force to be reckoned with. And I love how God says, I will hold you with my victorious right hand. The Amplified Version adds to it. It says this, God will uphold you with his victorious right hand, a hand of justice, of power, of victory, and salvation. And so no matter what, no matter who you put your trust in, someone, no matter how much they love you, they will always let you down at some point. We try really hard and we still can't do it, but God will never fail you and his promises are secure in you. And so God speaks to us in each of our situations. That's what this promise is about. And so I wanna talk about, um, for a little bit, I wanna drill down a bit. What do we do with the promise? How do we appropriate a promise? How do we actually experience a promise? And so we're gonna talk about that for a little bit. And I have four things that I would challenge you to do. By the way, are you guys okay in terms of temperature in here? It got really warm because the the worship was so hot this morning. Okay, if you're okay, then we're good. So I have four things that I would challenge you to do if you want to, um, to experience the promises of God in a more powerful way in your life, you'll have to do some things. And here are the things that I think that you will have to do. The first thing that you do is you find it. You find the promise, okay? And so here's what I wanna encourage you to do this week. I would encourage you to take some time, you know, I'm hoping that each of you on a regular basis spend time with God, whether it's like reading your Bible or praying or something like that, but take some time this week and I want you to go hunting for a promise of God. Go Do an internet search for all the promises of God or look in your Bible, but look for the promises of God. Do a study of those things. And then what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pick a handful of promises that speak to you and I want you to sort of internalize put those sort of in your pocket so that you can refer back to those things. I, um, I'm a guy, for whatever reason, I, 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 I'm particular about my pens. I, I, I do some journaling and things like that, and I, I, there are pens that I love, and there are many pens that I just won't use. And so I've got my little stash of pens. Don't ever ask me to borrow a pen. I'll really, you'll see me like kind of torn about whether I should loan you a pen. But <laughs> My pens are like these promises. I have pens in my pocket, pens in my bag that I can pull out anytime I want to to use them. And I want you guys to have that with the promises of God. I want you to have a few promises of God that have spoken to you, that you can pull out for a situation when you need a promise of God, when you need to experience his grace or his peace or his comfort or his strength. Have those promises ready to go. Then the next thing I would encourage you to do, and this is all in the first category, is I would encourage you, a couple of weeks ago, um, we started the series, and I encouraged you guys to, to know the season that you're in. Does anybody remember that? No, not at all. Okay, go back and listen to that sermon again. But my my challenge was that God is up to something in seasons, right? In the season, he's he's doing something in your life and it's fruitful, fruitful, productive work to say, God, what are you up to? What do you wanna do in my life right now? What's happening? How am I doing? And what I would encourage you to do is to look for a promise of God for the season that you're in right now. Where are you right now? How are you feeling right now? What do you need God to do in your life? Well, find a promise that speaks to that and then let that promise edify you. 
And then finally, if you want to, you might, be, uh, uh, you might be happy if you found a promise that could kind of be a life promise to you. There are so many amazing things that God has spoken over your life, but there might be one that rises to the surface. And I'll, I'll say this, this is sort of embarrassing that this is my, uh, a promise that I rehearse every day. I wish it was a, there was a different one, but God's mercy is new every morning that helps me so much. I can't tell you. I say that all the time and I say it to my kids because it turns out virtually every day I come crawling back to God saying, God, I need mercy. I need mercy. I need a fresh start. And I love that God is a God of fresh starts for us every morning. Amen? Okay, so that is the first thing you do. The first thing you do is you go find the promise. The second thing that you do is you rehearse the promise. You rehearse it. You meditate on it. You memorize it. You chew on it. You say it to yourself a dozen times a day. You repeat it over and over and over again because no matter how amazing God is and no matter how amazing the promises that he's speaking over your life, if you just kind of look at it and then walk away from it, it will just glance over the surface of your life. It will not change you. It will not impact you. You will forget about it. And if you want to experience a promise of God, then you have to get it in there. And I don't know how you'll get it in there, but repetition is a powerful way of getting stuff from out here or in your Bible into your heart. And if you want to start experiencing more of the promises of God in your life, then I would challenge you to repeat them, to chew on them. And so I know a lot of you guys are doing a read through the Bible uh, over the course of a year. It starts in January and, you know, by March, it gets pretty tough. Some, uh, Joe's in Leviticus right now. <laughs> keep, keep, keep grinding through Leviticus, Joe. But anyway, there is a downside, in my opinion, to uh, reading through the Bible in a year. And that is that a read through the Bible in a year encourages us to move quickly through the Bible. And I would much rather you take your time in the scripture. And that's true of these promises as well. Take your time with a promise of God. Really chew on it. Really let it get deep into your heart. Number three, number three, if we're going to appropriate the promises of God, we find them, we rehearse them, and then we feast on them. We feast on them. And this means, what I'm saying is, is I want this, this promise of God to edify you. I want it to touch your heart. I want it to delight you. I want it to, to give you strength, to build you up. To, I, I hope that hope starts to rise in your heart because of this promise that you're meditating on. King David wrote this in Psalm 119. He said, I delight far more in what you tell me about living than in gathering a pile of riches. I ponder every morsel of wisdom from you. I attentively watch how you've done it. I relish everything that you've told me of life. I won't forget a word of it. David was a man who was edified by the promises of God. He was edified by God's work in his life. He was edified by the word of God in his life. And I, I'll be honest with you, sometimes... Christianity can seem so 
I don't know, what is it, academic or intellectual or just kind of in our head space rather than in our heart space. And I, I want to remind us that we are whole people. We are body, soul, spirit, emotions. And God should touch all of those things. And it's not that, that it's all about emotions, but if we go for days and weeks and months without feeling our hearts warmed and strengthened and uplifted by something that the Lord has spoken, we're missing out on some of the best things of the Lord. So feast on these promises. Let them touch your heart. Let them sink deeply into your heart until you're changed. Your perspective is changed. Your hope is changed. And that brings me to the last thing that we do with a promise. And this is it. And this is it. The last thing we do with a promise is we live into it. We live into the promises. And what I mean by that is, is we take a promise of God and we live according to that thing. We let the promise guide us and shape us, shape how we're thinking, shape how we're living. The Apostle Paul, he talked about the Christian life as a, a walk, Right? The Christian life is a walk. It's one step after another. It's moment by moment, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. And so to live into a promise of God means that we live as this, as though this were true, as though, as though God had actually spoken this. And so if the promise of God is that he will give you strength, then walk in strength and don't walk in weakness. Anticipate that the strength will be there for the thing that you are doing, the thing that God is calling you to, right? If the promise is that God is with you, then be on the lookout for God's activity in your life. If God is with you, if he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, do you have eyes to see where God is at work? Do you have eyes to see where God is at work in you and outside of you because he is at work? And my fear is that so many Christians just cruise through life missing so much of what God is doing. So live according to the promises. I'm going to give you two promises that um, I, I, it just the two promises that I, that I felt to share. And I want to share these promises, not just because I think they're for all of us, but I actually felt like there might be one or two people that these two promises might speak to particularly in the room, okay? So this is sort of a, a nudge from the Lord. But Matthew chapter five, this is uh, Jesus speaking in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And he said this, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. That is the promise. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I, 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 I just wonder, church, I, I think that there may be um, one or two of us in the room that God is actually um, you're, you're actually experiencing persecution because of your faith or God is, is calling you to live out your faith so powerfully, so authentically that you will experience some level of persecution. And I, I share that to give you strength and to say that there will be a blessing of God. There will be a reward for any of us who would live up to and into the full calling of God on our lives. That's the first one. The second promise is this. Whoever sows sparingly, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
And I just had this sense that there may be a person in here and God has been stirring your heart to live an extremely generous life. And you're going to see it differently. You're not going to just be a person that's generous, but you're going to see the generosity that God is stirring up in you as sowing seed. And you're going to expect a harvest. And God's going to give you a harvest. And Tammy... Uh, I, yeah, I, I, the Lord brought you to mind, and this isn't a financial thing, but I believe really strongly that you're sowing into evangelism. You're sowing into bringing the lost. You're going to make me Christ. <laughs> Don't do it. Anyway, the Lord is going to bring a harvest for you. He's going to bring a harvest. Okay, so this is what we do with a promise. Let me wrap us up here, okay? What do you do with a promise? You find it. You rehearse it, you feast on it, and you live into it. Now, just uh, in case there's any little voice in our head saying, I don't know if that promise is for me, um, I told you that we're going to just check on whether or not all these promises are, are for us. Can we claim them all for ourselves? And I, I'm going to just be clear. If I had to answer that question, and it might be a little bit of an overgeneralization, but I would like to tell you that I believe that every good promise of God is for you. Every single one. Let me give you two scriptures to support that. Romans chapter 15 says this. This is Paul writing to the Romans. And he said, for everything, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. Everything. Let me give you one more that you've probably heard. For no matter, this is to the Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The promises are yes in Christ, and they receive from us an amen. Amen? Okay, so that settles that. Let me uh, finish this up here. You guys have heard the phrase, words to live by, right? Words to live by. I, um, I did a Google search of words to live by. There were 25 million results. I'm tired of reading. I didn't read all those, but... Uh, here are a couple of words to live by. FDR said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, right? Uh, some Buddhist monk said, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step, right? Apparently the web thinks that these are words to live by. And what are the what's the benefit of words to live by? The benefit is that they sort of become a filter for life's circumstances. And they become a compass for us. It's like, okay, if these are the words that I live by, I interpret life circumstances according to those. So for example, if... Um, something really, really bad happens to you and you're a words to live by person, you can say, whatever doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. And I hope that some people have been helped to some degree with some words to live by. But what I want to suggest to us today, you guys, is that we're all going to live by something. We're all going to live by something. We're going to live by some message, some philosophy, some belief. And I would submit to you that there may be no better thing in all of life to live by, no better words to live by, than by the promises of God spoken over your life. Amen? Amen.